and uh, we had a chance to celebrate our grandson's fifth birthday. Ethan's going to be five. Actually, tomorrow he's going to be five. This is his actual day, and good to have an occasion where you can come and we can fellowship again, and it's good to have you come and, and lead us in, in that uh, song to, to look forward to what we're going to have in our union with Christ. Uh, one announcement I want to give, and um, it's something I haven't really mentioned before, and that is today at 4 o'clock, there's a church, Crossway Church of Milwaukee is going to come and, and share or use our building. They'll have a separate service of baptism, and so we've got our baptism pool ready for them to use. Um, it's only one thing I'm going to ask of you, and that is that as we leave today that we would uh, make our our uh, be a good host by leaving a clean church today. So normally there's somebody who's come back and, and kind of cleans after you. This time you're the one. So if you would take your seat and your role and just clean it up as we leave today, uh, Crossway will be able to come and, and have a, a good facility. You know, it's, it's a good opportunity. Um, maybe not everyone knows Crossway. We, we met them and uh, we have a, a monthly fellowship with pastors in the Milwaukee area. And uh, they, they're part of that fellowship, actually part of getting it started. It, it's hosted here at Sweet Communion each month. And they're part of getting that started. They also were, were the uh, impetus for starting the uh, prayer walk that we did last summer on, on uh, 3rd Street right here in the city in response to a lot of the social uh, injustice activities that were going on, destroying our city. We decided to get together and pray. And so... We uh, joined in fellowship with them in that, and so they are uh, renting uh, part of a uh, um, um, college, um, uh, what, what? Alverno, thank you, Alverno College, they're using as part of their meeting place, and uh, they needed a place to have a baptism, and we more than happy to uh, extend ourselves to them. So I'll be using it today from four to five, and uh, we look forward to it's, it's great to be in the position to do that. Uh, we'll be celebrating our anniversary, 27 years, and we, knew, we know what it's like to not have our own building and, and look for facilities where we could do something like baptism. And so it's good to have them come in and uh, use our facility today. All right, our scripture reading uh, this morning is found in Mark chapter 7. Let's turn there in our Bibles. And I'm going to read that entire chapter. That's our text this morning. If you don't have your own Bible, our ushers have Bibles available. Just raise your hand and they'll bring one to you that you can use throughout our service this morning. After scripture reading, we'll have uh, a word of prayer. And our choir will come with special music. And then the message in closing today of our service. Let's stand together in respect to the reading of God's holy word. Mark 7. Now when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. There are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels 
and dining couches. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? And he said to them, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain they do worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. And he said to them, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if a man tells his father or his mother, whatever you would have gained from me is Corbin, that is, given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you've handed down, and many such things you do. And he called the people to him again and said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand, there is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, Then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart but his stomach and is expelled? Thus he declared all foods clean. And he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. And from there he arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And he entered a house and did not want anyone to know, yet he could not be hidden. But immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she begged him to cast a demon out of her daughter. And he said to her, let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she answered him, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said to her, For this statement you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child lying in bed and the demon gone. Then he returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of Decapolis. And they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment. And they begged him to lay his hand on him. And taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers in, into his ears and after spitting, touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Epaph, Ephaphtha, can't say that, that is, be opened. 
and his ears were opened, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. And Jesus charged them, <clears throat> Jesus charged them to tell no one. But the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. May God give us understanding in this portion of his word that we read and preach from this morning. Please remain standing with me as we share in a word of prayer. Thank you, Father, for the sunshine this morning. Thank you for the warmer temperatures. Thank you for the coming of spring and the promise that comes from you that we'll see the seasons change. They show you of your faithfulness. They show of your sovereign control of all that you have created, all that you have created. And we thank you for that. We thank you for waking us up this morning, allowing us to come into fellowship and meet together. We desire to worship you, Lord, to worship you in spirit and in truth. So we pray, Lord, that you would cleanse our hearts. We submit ourselves to you, Lord, that we might focus on your truth, that we might glean from your word nourishment for our souls today. You speak to us from your word. We pray, Lord, that you would allow us to focus on your truth and allow us to take with us that truth that we can put to practice in our everyday life and grow in our walk and our relationship with you. And then we pray for those here today that don't know Christ as Savior, that you would move in their hearts, you would uh, enlighten their minds so that they would understand their sinfulness and understand the one and only Savior, Jesus Christ, and they would bow down to him, submit to him, trust in him, worship him, love him, and serve him as they believe on him. We pray for the blessing of your people. We know of um, Zachariah who hurt himself yesterday and had to be taken into emergency care. We pray, Lord, that you would just be with him in his recovery, be with his parents, Lord, as they tend to him and care for him, that you give him a full recovery, Lord. We pray for each other, Lord, in the different challenges that we face. Help us to minister to each other in a way that's pleasing to you. And now we pray for this service that it all would glorify you in how it's done and how it's received and how it's lived out. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. In our journey in Mark, we have seen the authority of Jesus displayed through many things that he did and his teaching that he taught. We've also seen the challenge that has come from those who would oppose and those who reject his teaching, those who reject the authority that he displayed, those who reject the message that he was bringing and flat out rejecting who he is. 
We saw in the previous chapter, as he went home, they just utterly reject him. They basically said, who do you think you are? We know who you are. You couldn't possibly be anything else. And so they had rejected. Jesus foretold of that rejection even as he began to teach. The first parable that he taught was the sower and the seed and, and the soil and showing that as the word goes out, Three out of four often reject, and that soil is only good in one of those cases where the seed is received and the seed produces fruit. And he was showing what goes out, or what happens as his word goes out. We see now in chapter 7 his interaction again with the Pharisees and the scribes. We're told that they come up from Jerusalem and they ask him a question, and they notice what's going on with his disciples, and they question that. In verse 2, it says, Some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, and it explains what defiled means, unwashed hands. Jesus deals in this section, the Word of God deals with the traditions and commandments, or traditions versus commandments. And I asked the question, what's wrong with traditions? Even what's wrong with washing hands? And you laugh because you know washing of hands is a common thing that we do. We do it for personal hygiene, and it's a good thing. And in our COVID environment, We've gotten kind of hyper when it comes to cleanliness and washing hands. And so we would ask the common question, what's wrong with that? Are, are, are the Pharisees coming up, something, coming up with something new? Are they protesting for wrong reasons? And why does Jesus challenge what it is that they have to say? Well, he points out, What's wrong? First of all, we note the strong response that Jesus has in verse 4. He's not like, well, maybe y'all just, just don't understand, and uh, I'm going to bear with you, and let me just educate you and teach you. What does he start off by saying? He says in, 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 in verse 6, well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites. He doesn't cushion his response. He calls them hypocrites. And he says, not only are you hypocrites, but you're the hypocrites that Isaiah was talking about when God wrote in his word those who would reject God's teaching and therefore reject his messenger. You are the hypocrites that God spoke about. And so we might wonder why so strong a rebuke from Jesus. Notice as he speaks to them, he uses the word hypocrite. In verse 6, he also makes a comparison to lips and heart. He says, These pe this people honors me honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Contrast between lips or what they say and their heart. Heart is a key term in this whole section. Jesus 
deals with the heart of mankind. And we're going to talk about what that means. He makes another contrast in verse 7 with the commandments of men and the commandments of God. He says, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Verse 8, you leave the commandments of God and hold to the traditions of men. He makes a contrast between what God has said and commanded and what men are teaching as their practice and their tradition. This helps us understand a bit more of why Jesus gives such a strong rebuke. He says you leave the commandment of God and you hold to the tradition of men. In verse 9, he says you establish, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. You establish your tradition and yet you reject the commandment of God. Verse 10 and 11, he makes a contrast between what Moses said. In other words, thus saith the Lord, as Moses wrote, but you say. Look at verse 10. For Moses says, verse 11, but you say. There's the contrast. And he points out the contrast. They, they were saying... They knew God's word said, the Ten Commandments says, honor your mother and father. Honor your mother and father. It says, whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. In other words, disrespects or treats wrongly mother and father. And, and by the way, I'm not saying this on, for my own behalf, but you have a mother and father for life. You may not be in a home for life, but you have a mother and father for life. He says, those who revile, treat disrespectfully, mother and father, have to answer to God. But they say, and he's going back to what the tradition was of his day, he says, whatever you would have gained from me is Corbin. He says, if a man tells his mother and father, look, the stuff I was going to give you and I was going to help you out, but instead I'm giving it as a gift to God. I ain't got to give you nothing. I don't have to honor you because I'm going to honor God. He says, that's how you reject the commandment of God and hold to your tradition. And he says, last part of that verse in verse uh, uh, 13, and many such things you do. Jesus was fed up with their inconsistencies. He was fed up with their man-made traditions and laws that they had, they had elevated over the command of God. You think we do any of that today? Oh, uh, yeah, we do. Jesus goes on to teach verses 14 through 23, what defiles of man? And I want to get into this first before I make any personal application to today. What defiles a man? In verse 15, he says, the most significant defilement is the defiling of the heart and not of the body. 
We recognize that the body can be hurt, can have things that come in and hurt us. We recognize that. And so Jesus isn't teaching, uh, oh, 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 oh. he's not teaching that we shouldn't wash our hands. Notice some of the, the, the practices they had. It says uh, um, in verse uh, 4, many other traditions they observed, such as washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. So they did a lot of things. Jesus wasn't saying that you shouldn't wash your hands or that you shouldn't be clean. In fact, the Old Testament and the law made those things clear. There were certain things that Israel was to do or not do in order that they might have clean and good hygiene. So it wasn't about that. Today the argument would be let's follow science. I'll get into that in a moment. But Jesus wasn't talking about poor hygiene. Here's what he was talking about. Is that they felt, as many do today, that there's nothing more important than our physical state. And Jesus says there's something far more important than even your physical state that you maintain through your personal hygiene and that's the stuff you're not doing. That's the washing that you're not doing. That's the deodorant that you're not putting on. That's the cologne that's not enhancing your, 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 the fragrance of your spirit. That is your heart. So he begins to talk about the crucial issue of the heart. He's basically saying, these folks is putting perfume on and about to die of a heart attack. But what does he mean by heart? He's not talking about that physical organ inside us that pumps our blood. The reason why he even uses that phrase is because that organ is so essential to our lives. And so it's a, it's, it's a good metaphor for what he speaks of. He's speaking of what is central to our very existence, but not the physical organ. The heart simply is the immaterial part of us, the inner self, our inner being. It's expressed through our thoughts and our desires. He says in verse 15, there's nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. Now, uh, when he said that, they didn't understand what he was talking about. After he had had, had, had this uh, com confrontation with the Pharisees, it says in verse 14, he called the people to him and he began to teach them and he taught them and, and he made that statement, but it wasn't clear what he meant. Verse 17, when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, then are you also without understanding? He begins to explain what he meant by you can't really be defiled by what you eat. 
He understood, yeah, you could take in some bad food. You could have food poisoning. You, you could ingest things that will be harmful. But he's saying that's not the most significant defilement that you will encounter. In other words, that's not your main problem. It could be a problem, true, but it's not the main problem. It is not the most significant or the most important issue that you ought to be concerned about. Jesus says you're washing your hands and you're eating clean food and you're going to hell. Because you are defiled by what comes out of you, not all the stuff you're careful of going into you. You only eat special diets, you only eat certain things, you, you, you are careful about all that you do, and yet you're not careful about the most important thing, and that is your inner being. And he calls that the heart. He says, verse 20, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and they defile a person. So this heart that he speaks of is our inner being. In Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven, 37, he says, the, 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 you can sum up the commandments by this, you shall love the Lord your God with what? All your heart, with all your soul, and all your strength. He's saying all that is in you, all that you are, you are to love God. He didn't say, love your God with that vessel that pumps the blood through you. He's not saying that. He's saying, love God with all that you are. All your inner being. Let's look at a few other verses that express that. Psalm 103, verse 1 and 2. Can you turn there with me? Psalms 103, verse 1 and 2. It says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Notice what he says. Bless the Lord, what? O my soul, and what else? All that is within me. That's what he's saying with the heart. The heart is my inner being, all that I am. Let that bless the Lord. Verse 2. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not his benefits. The heart includes the thinking process, the remembering process that we have. Forget not. May I bless the Lord with all that I have, all that I am from within. Verse 22 of that same psalm. Bless the Lord, all his works in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Soul is just another term for that which is within us, that which we are, that which eternally exists, does not die, our soul, our being. Whether you're saved or unsaved, you have a soul and you will live forever. Will you live with God or apart from God? 
what comes from your inner being, the deep you. When you say, love the Lord with all your heart, with everything that I am and everything I got, he says you ought to love the Lord. Psalm 119, verse 2. Bless, excuse me, blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart. Again, synonymous with soul, but heart there is an expression of all that we are. Blessed are the ones who see, who wholeheartedly, we use that word heart again, with all that we are, seek the Lord. Seek the search out, or it, 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 it speaks of our desires, what it is we love, what it is we want, what it is we desire. When God is at the top of that list, our heart is lining up. Psalm 119, verse 7, it says, I will praise you with an upright heart. Now, the doctor can't examine your heart and tell if it's upright or not. He's not talking about that physical member in your body. He's talking about your inner being, your attitude, your thoughts, your desire, all that you really are. Right now, you're thinking about what I'm saying. You have some internal response. You may show it on your face or you may not. You may look down and not want to show any expression, but your heart is responding. The real you, in some ways, is struggling with what I'm saying. Doesn't want to hear it, doesn't want to accept it. In other ways, it's wholeheartedly embracing. Use that word hard again. It's embracing all of God's truth, even though the flesh of you, the, the, the natural part of you would fight against it. Your heart belongs to God. Your inner being belongs to him. And it's embracing everything that God says, even though it's difficult for you to pull off. He's talking about with all that you are. Verse 10 of Psalm 119. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. It shows that in our being there's an internal struggle. For those who know Christ, we have that new nature given to us by the Holy Spirit. We have that old nature that we still fight. In our inner being there is that struggle. It's a good struggle though. And if you look at verse 11, I have stored up your word in my heart. You don't store your God's word in that vessel that pumps blood. It's talking about in you. So it's a part of you, your inner being he's speaking of. In Mark chapter 7, when he says in verse 21, from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts. Evil thoughts. Sinful acts start with sinful thoughts. Sinful acts start with sinful thoughts. Proverbs, is it four, um, tells us to guard our hearts. For out of it comes the issues of life, our inner being, our heart. Jesus is challenging them about false worship, challenging the Pharisees of his day about false worship. 
He's telling them with the difference between outward appearance and inner truth. What's really happening on the inside, covered up by what you display on the outside. He says, these people honor me with their lips. On the outside, they talk good talk. But their heart, their inner being is far from me. And he exposes that. He says, they go about washing hands, washing pots, and doing all this stuff as if they want to be serving God and they're concerned with the utmost holiness, but their inward heart is wicked and not right. They clean up the outside, but the inside is not right. That's what he's talking about here. He's not denying that you can't eat something and get sick from it. He's denying that that's the most significant thing or concern you ought to have. Now let's make some application. Some COVID application. He's not denying that we have viruses around us. We have them all. We have always had viruses. Ever since Adam and Eve sinned, there's been sickness and death. What he's saying, that ought not to be all of your focus. Four words. You can write them down. Four words. Fear, follow, honor, and love. Four words. Write those down. Fear, follow, honor, and love. These four words describe true worship. True worship. You can see what you truly worship if you pay attention to these four areas in your life. Your fear. What is your greatest fear? Who do you follow or what do you follow and what do you practice? Follow. What do you honor most? in your life? And what do or who do you love most in your life? Those four things show us who we actually worship. It's interesting that the Bible tells us, we looked at, at uh, um, Matthew, I think it's 26, verse 37, you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, with all your strength. And isn't it 1 John chapter 2 that says, love not the world? The Bible tells us to love God, but love not the things of the world. The Bible tells us that we are to fear God. We are to walk in the fear of the Lord. And yet he says, do not fear. Be of good courage. Do not fear anything else. Right? Jesus says in Matthew, I think it's Matthew chapter 10, don't fear Anything or anybody, even those who can kill the body, but do not have control over your soul. But fear the one who, after he's destroyed the body, can destroy the hell or send the soul to hell. So he says, fear, but don't fear. Fear, but don't fear. And what he's saying there is, look, by your fears you show... Who you truly worship. 
in our COVID response, we have shown in so, so many cases a tremendous fear for that which threatens us physically. I don't deny we should be concerned with our safety. It's natural that we do that, and we need to do that. But what it says is we shouldn't hold that fear over and above the fear of God. How many people now, let me just not talk to you for a second, but let me talk to you. Those who only watch, those who only see, and those who only engage in God's word and God's church through the internet. Because your fear is so strong that you won't dare come into a church. Some people look at me today and say, he ain't got a mask on. I've had people who I interact with who out of fear maintain that six foot of separation. I mean, it's a fear in their eyes. That's a guideline, folks. But to many, it becomes a commandment that if you go beyond... You're a terrible person. You couldn't possibly be a preacher and not wear a mask. And the only reason I should wear a mask is because they fear that the virus is going to somehow see through this microphone into their computer or TV or whatever it is and come out and rah! You want to talk about science. What is your greatest fear? And how do you live by that fear? Jesus isn't saying we ought not be careful, we shouldn't wash our hands. He says, don't let that fear rule you. The Pharisees are saying, how dare your disciples not keep, keep the traditions? They can't be holy. Because that is not their utmost response and action, and we can see it. Jesus says, you hypocrite. Anybody can wash hands in pots and have hygiene. But what are you doing for your heart? Where do you show your strongest allegiance and where do you show your strongest fear? Do you fear a virus more than you respect and obey God? There's some folks I fear who haven't been in a church in a year. And they're going to be hard to get back. I'm not talking to you because you're here. But this goes out through the internet. And I'm talking to some people who if I asked them to come today, would be so afraid to come. Why? Those same people go to the grocery store. They drive their cars. They go to work. Now some work at home. I hope if you work at home, you never open your door, you never open your window, and you have such a filter on your furnace that nothing comes from outside. Because you honor and respect and you worship that fear more than you do God. Jesus calls you a hypocrite. Because you honor the physical over and above the immaterial 
and the spiritual. And Jesus just calls you out. What do you fear most? Who do you follow in your practices most? Who do you love most? And who do you honor most? God says he's a jealous God. And he doesn't want you fearing anything or anyone more than him. He doesn't want you following anybody else's rule or guideline or commandment more than him. He doesn't want you loving anything, anyone more than him. He doesn't want you putting above or esteeming in honor. Some people... Honor, who is it, Dr. Fucci? Fauci? I can't even say his name, because I don't care who he is. <laughs> Some people honor every word that comes out of his mouth instead of honoring every word that comes from God. Who do you honor? Who do you worship? God deserves your fear. He deserves your allegiance, your honor, and your love. Jesus shows that in the next section. Let's take a look at that. Some surprising things. These won't sit well with us today either. Jesus' interaction with the Syrophoenician woman. He's in a Gentile area. He enters a house. He doesn't want anybody to know, and yet it says he couldn't be hidden. Again, that there's this huge crowd that's following him everywhere he goes to where he can't even sneak off into a house real quick and just have some alone time, but they're following him. And so there's this woman that comes and tells us she has a daughter. She has a young daughter. Verse 25, so the woman was a Gentile. It says she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. It says in verse 25, she has a little daughter. It doesn't tell us how old she is, but she's quite young. That's something that disturbs me in this section is that it, it shows the impact that demonic possession has on even children. And so <laughs> what should be our response? Lord, we need you. We need you. Even our children are not safe. We need you. So she comes to Jesus. She begs him. But look at Jesus' response. He says to her, verse 27, let the children be fed first. For it's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Three terms he, he uses that we need to explain. Children, bread, and dogs. What does he mean by children? Why does he not respond to this woman based on this term of children? 
What does he mean by bread and what does he mean by dogs? By the way, um, this chapter would probably um, not be accepted by most people. They throw out Dr. Seuss and all that he says, and so they would probably uh, call Jesus a racist because he used the term dog to refer to people. Um, so Jesus will be banned. The Word of God will be banned. I'm just saying. Children. What do children refer to? He says this. Let the children be fed first. Children refer to the people of God, the nation of Israel. The Bible makes it clear that the gospel came first to Israel. What did Israel do with it? Well, we'll see even more from this, this simple statement, what happened. Children refer to the people of God, and it's clear this woman is outside of that group, and she's a Gentile. She's not in that group. The second we need to understand is bread. Well, bread is substance that we need to eat, but it has more to do that. Certainly we can see bread is teaching or the word of God, and it's teaching that brings nourishment and, in fact, healing. And so this woman wants her child to be healed, delivered, rescued. Bread has to do with the Word of God. Dogs is a term that refers to Gentiles, those who are not part of the people of God. Now, people shudder at that because that's a derogatory term. You got to fight with God about that. He's simply making a statement. And he's saying this, is that Let the benefit go first to the people of God. Let them be first priority. Notice her response. And this is where we see her great faith. Don't be fair! God's a racist. God can't possibly think like that. Why does Jesus even say this to her? He is testing her faith. He's trying to see where her faith is. The Bible says that those who come to God must believe that he is, believe that he's a reward of them that diligently seek him. You ain't really diligently seeking God if you think that God is racist. God, in other words, God is evil in his plan. God is sovereign and in control, but his plan is evil. It's against me. Well, it may be against you, but that doesn't mean it's evil. God is holy. And he's testing her, and he tests her. But look at her response. Jesus says, let the children first be fed. It's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. 
She answered him, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. I accept what you say. And I won't refute. In other words, I'm going to make a plea, but it's not based on I deserve something. It's not based on I'm entitled to something. I'm going to make a plea based on your grace and your mercy. Yes, Lord. And then she says this. Even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. So there's another term that we need to understand, and that's crumbs. If bread, then, it refers to what comes from Jesus, the word, uh, uh, his communication that brings health and healing, bread is, bread is the main and crumbs is what's left over. Kind of reminds me of some of our children, you know how they eat, they, some of them. Now, we weren't allowed to eat like this. We made a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, or we made toast, and we eat the bread. Now, children nowadays, some children, I won't implicate all of them, will eat the inner parts and leave the crust out. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Y'all spoiled y'all kids to accept that. Y'all wrong. <laughs> We was poor. We had to eat all that bread. <laughs> Throwing away half a loaf of bread because you don't want to eat the outer rim. <laughs> okay, so crumb is like what's left over. Think about it this way. What's been rejected by the children? I don't want to eat that. What falls off the table, sometimes even over to the floor, that they ain't going to eat. They don't want that. They ain't going to eat that. Think about that. That's how the Jews treated what Jesus said. They rejected that. They were given the bread and they rejected it. We don't want that. Gentiles come along and they would soak in even the crumbs that fall. How good it is. Do you see the attitude? The focus is not on racism. The focus is on grace. And the attitude, the great faith that she has to say, Lord, whatever you got left over, I'll be glad to have because it's more than sufficient for me. The dog says, I'll get every crumb I can and I'll make a meal out of it and I will stay alive. So if the child is Israel, the bread is the word of God, the crumb is the leftover, and the Gentile, which is the rest of the world, is saying, Lord, we accept you. And we're glad to get whatever falls our way. We embrace your sovereignty that you went to your people first, but they rejected it, but you had enough leftover to feed all of us. You see her attitude? Jesus tested her. Do you believe that I'm good? Do you believe I got anything left over for you? If you didn't believe that, you wouldn't be coming to me. I'm not rejecting you. I'm challenging you. What do you think my heart is? What do you think my essence is? What do you think my character is? Am I only going to bless the Jew? Am I going to bless you? 
Obviously, you came expecting something because you thought whatever you thought of me, that I'm good and that I'm gracious and that my grace is more than sufficient for you. You see her heart? Now you see it? Can you compare that to the Pharisees who said, who is this Jesus with disciples? Won't he wash their hands? They, they just snob. They, 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 they ridicule our traditions. And here's this woman saying, Lord, whatever left over, I'll be glad to have. Bless my child, Lord. You have the ability to do it. You have the power to do it. And even if I, like the other woman before, if I could just touch the hem of your garment, if I can just get a little piece of you, it'll be enough. It'll be all right. And it'll be your love poured out on me. I ain't got to sit at the table. I just need a crumb. I just need a little bit. Lord, you're sufficient. You see her attitude of gratitude. Jesus says to her, for this statement, you may go your way. He says, bless you, woman. You got it right. You got it right. You fully understand what I've been trying to teach the Jews, and they've rejected. You understand it. You get it. You embrace it. And I've tested you so that could be exposed. It doesn't surprise me. I knew that was coming. But I brought it out so that others might see and see the contrast between the two. Do you see it? Say amen. Do you see it? <laughs> Isn't it good? Amen. The last section, Jesus heals a deaf man. They brought to him this man in verse 32, and they begged him, they begged Jesus to do something for him. It reminds me of, uh, was it chapter 2, when they, they came in Capernaum, and they, the, the friends uh, carried their, their friend, four men carried this one man and cut the, uh, the hole in Jesus' house <laughs> and let him down in it. They were expecting something great to happen. And they, 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 so they, 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 they brought this man to Jesus. Look at the man's condition in verse 32. He was deaf and he had a speech impediment. Something there we ought to know. Before we had deaf ministry here in this church, I didn't understand this as clearly. But those who are deaf have trouble speaking, not because something's wrong with their vocal cords, the vocal cords are fine. It's the same thing that goes in and helps me play my trumpet, is that I have to learn. I learn from listening. I learn how to vocalize on the trumpet from listening to other trumpets do it, listening to music in general, and hearing how a note sounds, and playing and adjusting what I play to what I hear to where I hone in my skill and I can match or closely match what I hear. That's what a child does when he learns how to speak. 
He hears you. Now, if you go all that baby talk all the time, they won't get the right idea, right? But they hear you say words and they try it. And they know they, their, their enunciation doesn't match yours, but they keep trying. They keep trying based on what they hear. They're matching up what they say with what they hear until they get to that level to where you know what they said. They said, Mama. They said, Dad, Dad, and then it's Daddy, and then it's, well, as <laughs> they grow older, who knows what they say. Um, but they, 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 by practicing and paying attention to what they hear, they can increase the skill of their vocals of what they say. This man had an issue. He had a hearing issue and a speech impediment. Our hearing affects our speech. Here it is, both physically and spiritually. Our skill and ability to hear spiritually will impact our skill and ability to speak forth God's word spiritually or speak forth his spiritual word in our lives. You get it? You understand that? They go together. If you want to communicate God's word, learn to listen to it carefully. If you want to tell others God's word, you have to listen to God's word. Take it in for yourself, and then you will be able to live it out and give it out much better. Now let's go on. So this man has a condition. Uh, he's deaf, and he also has a speech impediment. They go together, and the healing goes together. What does Jesus do? He touches the man. He puts his fingers into his ears. He spits and touches his tongue. How unconventional and even disgusting it seems. Jesus is intent on touch, hands-on. If you don't want Jesus hands-on, <laughs> you don't want Jesus. Now imagine what this man would have said. See, everybody else watching, oh, we would have said, eh? If you was next in line, you might have said, you ain't doing that to me. But if you were next in line with the same issue that he had, you'd be like, Lord, whatever it takes. Whatever it takes. You notice that's why sometimes the doctor don't always tell you exactly what's going to happen in the procedure that he's about to do. He doesn't go into all the details because you go, eh? Right? He simply tells you it's going to help you. <laughs> that vaccine, right? It said it don't hurt much. Right. They're going to poke you with a sharp instrument. But it's going to help you. You see? The pain <laughs> is flavored by the, what it produces or the impact that it's going to have. And again, you got to trust God on that. You, you, you know, you, you, you got to kind of have to be bad enough off to be ready 
for him to do whatever it takes to heal you. And then you say, Lord, yeah, it, it don't matter. Because if it's coming from you, I can take it. If it's coming from you, even if you spitting on me, Lord, if it's coming from you, I'm okay with it. Because you're doing it for my good. It's a whole different attitude in our attitude when we receive it. And so Jesus gets down and dirty with this man. He touches him. He prays, verse 34. And look at the results. His, verse 35, I had to read that. And his ears were opened... His tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. They go together. They go together. His ears first, and his tongue followed. Maybe very similar to our hearts and our lips. God has to impact our heart, and then our lips won't speak hypocrisy. Jesus says to the scribes, you hypocrites, because you talk a good talk, but you have nothing, you know, no knowledge of me, really. You don't walk a real walk. Look at their response. It says, verse 36 and verse 37, they were astonished beyond measure. Why? Jesus, he has done all things well. He makes, he even makes a deaf hear and the mute speak. What's surprising about this is it's instantaneous. This man hears, and right away, it's a work of God. He's able to speak. He's able to speak clearly. God does a work. All that he does is good. Father, we pray that we more and more will Take in your truth and your word. We'd be more concerned with the inner, the internal, and less concerned with the outward. The body is fading away. This life is fleeting. We have a limited time, but we have unlimited time with you in eternity. May we be more concerned with that and our faithfulness until we get there and less concerned with everything external, everything external. The Bible says, you know we have need of these things. You're not ignorant of that. Help us to be concerned as you are concerned and help us to be open to you, available to you. Help us in our attitude, in the attitude of our heart to be grateful for your sovereignty, for your work, for your display of grace in our lives. Help us to be willing and taking all that in. Help us to embrace the Lord Jesus Christ and all that you have for us. We pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen.